0: Welcome to Real World Enterprise Architecture. My name is Reggie. I make my living as an enterprise architect for a multinational corporation. And on this podcast, I discuss the practical ins and outs of enterprise architecture in the real world. This is part two of three on the topic of enterprise architecture, Cornerstones. In the last episode, I covered the first cornerstone, alignment, that is, aligning the business of the enterprise with the technology that supports it, which is really the essential purpose for all of enterprise architecture. We also saw that data and applications are a core part of that alignment. In fact, when I say that enterprise architecture is really about aligning the business of the enterprise with the technology that supports it, I mean that in a very general sense. And in that general sense, data and applications are sandwiched between business and technology. In other words, there's something of a continuum between business architecture on the one end and technology architecture on the other, with data and applications residing in between. Anyway, I covered that in the last episode, so if you haven't listened to that episode, it's probably worth listening to, since this episode builds on on the previous episode. Now, in this episode, I want to focus on the second cornerstone, which is, which is guidance. I'm guessing that when we wrapped up the last episode, you felt like I left you hanging a little. I said you should use the four architecture domains, the business, data, application, and technology, as a way to align things in the enterprise. And I said you should do it in a loosely coupled way, using guidance versus trying to create detailed models. Well in this episode, I want to explain how I think you should go about that. But before I dig into different guidance mechanisms and how they should be used to align, I want to talk a little bit more about this uh, general concept of guidance versus detailed modeling. You've heard me say on a couple occasions, I'm guessing now, that trying to model an enterprise in detail is a fool's errand. Enterprises are just, they're just too complex. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's contrast that with other kinds of things, like a car or a house or a mobile phone. When we design a house or a car or a mobile phone, we necessarily need to develop detailed models. Now, historically, we did this in the form of blueprints, which in time evolved into digital models. If we don't create these models, there's a good chance the thing we're designing will not come together properly. In fact, it's, it's, it's a near certainty. But these things are not enterprises. They are closed systems, at least to a large degree. And we can realistically create these kinds of models. We can create models of these kinds of systems. Enterprises are not like that. Enterprises are fundamentally open systems. And by that, I mean it's difficult to nail down the scope, functions, and behaviors, internal structure, and external interactions in any detailed way. Now, we can do that in, in, in a narrow sense or in a certain scope, but to try to do it in a global sense for an enterprise is, is, as I said, it's a fool's errand. It just simply can't be done in any practical way. And that's because enterprises are constantly changing. Open systems are constantly changing. If we try to change that fact, to somehow stabilize them, hold them static, they'll start to become ineffective. And that's why we use guiding mechanisms versus detailed models. Now, I, I think I might cover this difference between systems and enterprises and or, you know closed systems and open systems in, a more detail, in more detail in a future episode. But so let's get back to well, what we're talking about: the guiding mechanisms. So what are those guiding mechanisms that we use as enterprise architects? Well, there're basically seven guiding mechanisms, and I'm going to list them first, then I'll get into detail. The first one is reference architectures. The second one is portfolios. The third is roadmaps. The fourth is relational maps. The fifth is dictionaries. The sixth is standards. And the seventh is guardrails. Now let's take a look at how each of these work as guiding mechanisms. Reference architectures provide us a way to define a conceptual design, to nail down the essential aspects of the architecture without over-specifying it, which leaves the appropriate level of detail for implementation. How much, you might ask? Well, that depends on your specific goal. A reference architecture is, in fact, an architecture diagram. So it is, in fact, an architecture with supporting context, such as implementation guidance. Now, um, that might be an architecture model in a truest sense, created and maintained using some sort of architecture modeling tool or language, but it's much more likely to be some sort of diagram with supporting text or annotations, often enriched with multimedia like audio or video that doesn't conform to any sort of rigorous modeling specification. Now, Rigorous modeling does have benefits, especially when the details matter. But rigorous models can sometimes detract from what's being described, so it's really important to give yourself the flexibility you need to communicate the architecture you're trying to communicate. Reference architectures are really what you might call meta architectures. Now I said they're architectures, and then in a previous episode I said they're not really architectures. And what I mean by that is reference architectures are meta architectures. They're higher level architectures that guide more detailed architectural solutions. In some cases, they provide a general template for more detailed architectures. In other cases, they describe architectural constraints in some way. This is how reference architectures guide implementation in a way that aligns the enterprise. And it's important to remember that the ultimate goal of a reference architecture is to guide in a way that addresses some sort of alignment issue. Another consideration with reference architectures is there is likely to be more than one. Now, lots of times I see a single reference architecture for an enterprise. Somebody tries to do that. They're, they're, they're like, okay, this is the reference architecture. This diagram is our reference architecture. In those cases, the reference architecture is at a super high level. And even then, it contains too much information to, to understand in any, in any practical way. So it's usually a good practice to have a handful of reference architectures, some of which are general and others that address specific areas of concern. How many do you need? Well, that depends on how complex your enterprise is. Now this may be pretty obvious what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. If the reference architecture describes activities, it's usually part of the business architecture domain. So where do reference architectures live? They can live in the business domain. But if that reference architecture describes data, then it's part of the data architecture domain. And uh, if it describes applications, it's uh, part of the application architecture domain. And as you might expect, if it describes underlying technology stacks, then it's part of the technology architecture domain. So this question about where does enterprise where, do, where does reference where do reference architectures live? They live in each of the architecture domains. So reference architectures are a mechanism. Um, they're not a particular architecture domain. Okay. The next guiding mechanism, which is a a really important one to uh, enterprise architecture, is the portfolio. Portfolios are another very common form of guidance we find in enterprise architecture. A portfolio, in a general sense, is nothing more than a collection of things, usually organized in a way that explains the things in the portfolio in some useful way. We find capability portfolios that describe the overall capabilities of the enterprise, at least at a high level. Capability portfolios are part of the business architecture domain. We find service portfolios that describe the internal or maybe the external services provided by the enterprise. Often these are data services, that is, services that provide data to data consumers, and in that sense they tend to be part of the data architecture domain. We find application portfolios that describe applications, which sometimes we call tools, used by different organizations within the enterprise. And we find technology portfolios that describe the key technologies used by the enterprise. So portfolios are useful in managing the various things the enterprise invests in. They provide us a way to understand the various elements of our enterprise architecture, and also a way to understand and hopefully optimize our investment in these things so you can see portfolios and reference architectures are part of each of the each of the each of the four architecture domains okay roadmaps are another very common form of enterprise architecture guidance they're a, another form of guidance we pr- find in the our Ar- enterprise architects toolbox and roadmaps are useful in providing a sense of timing or sequencing uh, of things maybe modernization or decommissioning, uh, they might also address things like known obsolescence issues, or technology maturity, or even impending statutory requirements. In general, they provide a timeline view, and they're generally constructed in a timeline view, and in that sense, they're very useful in coordinating alignment across the various initiatives or projects within the enterprise. Okay, so those were kind of the most common uh, forms of, of, of guidance mechanisms. Reference architectures, portfolios, and roadmaps. But there, there are a few others I want to cover. So there, there are four more, really. They're not quite as important as the first three, but they're still very useful. Uh, so the first one of those is relational maps. And relational maps provide us with a way to relate things to each other. Those things might be individual reference architectures. And if you have multiple reference architectures, which you probably will and you probably should, it's necessary to relate them to each other. On the other hand, a relational map could be one that maps organizations to tools or data elements or perhaps maps organizations to each other. What I mean, you get the idea. Uh, whenever you need to show a relationship between things, a relationship, a relationship map is a good technique to use. It's a good guidance mechanism to use. Okay. The next uh, guiding mechanism is a dictionary. Now, a dictionary provides us uh, with a standard way. Well, a dictionary provides us with a way to establish agreed upon terms. Master data, which you may have heard of, you probably have heard of something called master data. Well, master data falls into this category of being a dictionary because we 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 define it, we establish it, we agree on it. But a business glossary also falls into this category of a dictionary. Anytime we need a common definition for terms or formats, dictionaries come in handy. And we find them most often in the data architecture domain. Um, But it's not uncommon to find them in other architecture domains as well because they are just a a general guidance mechanism that provides us a standard way, a a way to agree upon uh, standard terms. Very closely related to dictionaries, uh, but a little different, uh, are standards. Now, standards um, are, in fact, just dictionaries, in a sense, that have a broader applicability, so typically beyond the walls of the enterprise, but standards can come as other, in other forms as well. Um, Sometimes we, we find standards represented as reference architectures. So we see this, this blending of, of mechanisms. There's not a pure uh, delineation of mechanisms. Um, so it, it is not uncommon to see standards represented uh, or a reference architecture used in uh, representing or communicating a standards. The important thing is that standards reach beyond an individual enterprise spanning an entire industry. Um, Maybe even beyond that, we can even find global standards such as the way we address and find nodes on the internet. It's pretty common to find standards represented, uh, in fact, as a set of requirements or specifications and and such as the standards managed by the World Wide Web Consortium, the uh, W3C, for how the internet works. Guardrails are, uh, are our final mechanism. Now, guardrails are usually an internal mechanism for constraining implementation. That is, they constrain implementation within the enterprise. They're usually represented as requirements or policies within the enterprise. And you may or may not use these, but when you've got to uh, communicate um, uh, sort of specifications or requirements kinds of things, guardrails is a is a good way to go. In fact, you could call them requirements that That, you know, I use the term guardrails because uh, I think it provides the right sense of what we're trying to communicate, but, you know, you might call them requirements. I refer to all these mechanisms as guidance, but you might be wondering if the word guidance is too loose. I mean, most people hear guidance and they think suggestion or recommendation and, and, well, that's not quite right. A suggestion or recommendation is something that we might or might not accept. In other words... We'll likely weigh it, we'll listen to it, we'll weigh it, and we'll decide if it's for us. And if not, we just take it for what it is, a suggestion or recommendation, and move on, make our own decision. Guidance, on the other hand, is a bit firmer. Granted, it's not to be followed blindly or absolutely, but it's meant to be firmer than a mere suggestion or recommendations. In most cases, we we can bend it. Guidance is meant to be bent uh, in some ways, a little bit anyway, for the right reasons. But it does form the basis for an an agreement, uh, a type of covenant, if you will. And it forms the basis for achieving alignment at the enterprise level. In some cases, as with portfolios of applications, there might be a lot of flexibility. But in other cases, and and now I'm thinking about something like guardrails here, uh, the agreement might be a lot firmer. In any case, all of the mechanisms I've described here are meant to form the basis for enterprise architecture guidance, which is how we achieve enterprise alignment. So let's say we've employed these mechanisms uh, to establish the kind of guidance that leads to enterprise alignment. Well, we won't actually achieve that alignment unless the guidance is adequately communicated and explained. And that's the third cornerstone of enterprise architecture, which we'll get into in the next episode. Well that's it for now, so get out there and have yourself a good day. And remember, people are people and the world is a messy place, so don't be afraid to get a little dirty.